Jeff, we I feel like we owe the people of our great listenership an apology. Yeah, we missed a week. First time in two I, years. I told you. I told you when I we last time we recorded, I said this is probably gonna be the last one of 2021, isn't it? And you said, No, we're gonna do it next week. And then life happened. The end of the year happened. Some uh, ridiculous end of year fiascos happened at work. It was a long, I mean, it was, I don't know, it was an appropriate send off for 2021 that really was just a crappier version of 2020. Yeah. And now we have 2020 part two because it's, it's 2022. So it, it's 2022, like yes. T O O. So if this is going to be the same as 2020, that would not be fun. Uh, maybe it's like the, you know, maybe it's the opposite. I, I think it's going to be a great year and it's part two is going to be the inverse of part one. Ooh, well, you have way more optimism than I do. I don't know. I would like to. Are you basing this solely off of the events at the high school basketball games in the game of Tennessee? Yeah. Well, I mean, that's that's kind of a, a really good barometer of where our political state is right now. If you haven't heard, you don't know what we're talking about. Uh, let's go to the state of Tennessee. What is Tennessee? The 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 country state? What do, what do we call it? Not the uh, beehive state. Uh, what are, what are um, they? I don't know. Are they, you know? It's like the, not the land of Lincoln. It's like, uh, the it's like I, I think know. it's, no, that's like, oh no, it's some volunteer state. That's what it is. I, was oh, say, I well, thought it was something sense. about, uh, I thought it was going to be something about. Um, that makes sense. Like the volunteers. David Crockett, because I think he was born in Tennessee. I thought it was uh, something like similar to the land of Lincoln, but about him, but it's not. Uh, this is a doozy of a story. So Tennessee, the, what is he? He's the Tennessee House Republican Caucus Chairman, which is like a big fancy way to say he's a state senator. So basically he's Angela's fiance. Like it's not like crazy. But he's in politics, and he had to apologize this week, Garrett, because he was at a youth basketball game, and he did not agree with the call that the ref made, which we can all relate to. We all hate refs, but normally we, you know, you voice your displeasure with some some angry words, and that's it. Maybe a tweet if you're really really angry about it. No. But this guy, not this guy, not this guy, Jeremy Faison, he tried to pants the referee. I mean, who hasn't tried to pants a referee in their I, life? I mean, it's fair. It, it seems like it's a reasonable place. But beyond trying to pants the recipe or the recipe, the referee, I'm reading a recipe as we're, we're talking about this. Uh, his apology. He managed to work in. Some ludicrous into his apology oh, here's his apology what does he have hose in every area code or what almost for years i thought how wrong it was when a parent uh loses uh, loses not loses loses tennessee politics are different there you know what that's a really good experiment somebody who has access to the the tennessee state constitution just review it for typos misspellings, things like that. I bet you there's more than one. When a parent loses their temper at a sporting event, it's not Christian and it's not mature and it's embarrassing to the child have always been my thoughts. Unfortunately, I acted a fool tonight 
had lost my temper on a ref. I was wanting him to fight me. Totally lost my junk and got booted from the gym. I've never really lost my temper, but I did tonight, and it was completely stupid of me. Emotions getting in the way of rational thoughts are never good. I hope to be able to find the ref and ask for his forgiveness. I was bad wrong. <laughs> oh, that has to be the best worst apology ever. So here's the thing. Knowing this, would you, if he was like your state representative or on your city council or whatever this politician is, would you vote for him again based on like the ridiculousness of him pantsing referee, but then following it up by using ludicrous lyrics just like, as a meme? Would you vote for him at this point? Like it's like writing in Harambe when Harambe <laughs> got presidential votes. Right. At this point in, in our society. Uh, yeah, I think I would not because not, not because I, I, I think he is a, a good leader or because I respect him, but because this is kind of where we're at in America, we put up the worst to vote for them. Well, this guy qualifies. It's not, we put up the worst. It's just like, nobody wants to do it. And there's a certain level of like, there's a certain level of ego. And I mean, if you're in like your city council, I think that's like pretty benign, right? You know, like Zach Bloxham of the Layton City Council. I know you listen to the show, right? It's like, I think most people at a very local level, like their school board or whatever, you know, they generally want to help, but it's like, you get much higher than that. And most of the people, it's like, it's a power trip, right? It's, they have an ego that they want stroked by thinking they're super popular and like the, they get off on being in charge. And so it doesn't, it doesn't uh, usually end up well for the rest of us, right? Because it, there's there's a misalignment of things there, of you know intentions. But I I don't know if I would vote for the pants ref guy. Um, I would maybe vote for him for the because he pants somebody or tried to pants somebody. Like I'm okay with that. I can wrap my head around that. That's passion. But I don't know that I could vote for him because he acted a fool. You know, like the, the apology is worse than the act. The, yeah, I think I could get on board on that. Get so on I, board with that. I'd be torn. I would be really torn. Um, so I have another question for you before we dive into our actual uh, normal things here. And, and this intro is going to be a little long because we're, we're in the off season now. Right. It's, I, I mean, we, right. we got basketball, but it's football season is over. Uh, I think. It's been a month almost, but a lot of us still have a little bit of a sour taste in our mouth with how it ended. And, you know, we're just going to see what happens. But what keeps you up at night? And I will, last night, I will press this. My wife and I were talking and we were discussing Puerto Rico and acid, acid reflux. That's the answer. No, <laughs> no I'm, I'm talking mentally here, oh, the phys- okay. but you know, we're discussing Puerto Rico and Panama and like Mexico and people moved to other countries and whatever. And then we started discussing like, and I realized that the single thing that like worries me most, and maybe this worries you too, as a banker is a runaway inflation the complete devaluation of the U.S. dollar as the global currency and like an impending economic crisis doom way worse than like 
makes the recession seem like a, a blip in the radar, you know, from when everyone was freaking out 12 years ago and how bad it was. And that's like a cakewalk compared to what would happen if the dollar completely fell apart. That is what keeps me up at night. And the more I, I it's something that I, if I think about it, it can just distract me for like an entire day. Mm. And is like, I mean, I'm not saying I want to go like full prepper, but it makes me want to be more like that. If you've ever watched that show on TV preppers. Mm-hmm. So what keeps you up at night and how terrified are you of the national debt? Uh, I'm not overly terrified about the national debt, not because I don't think that's a, a possibility. I think it's a probability, not even a possibility at this point. It's just a matter of when, not if, in my opinion. But I'm not overly concerned about that because I think that there are smart people in the world uh, who are are preparing for it, not in the government. But I think things like Bitcoin and things like, you know, even even uh, if you've looked closely, states are starting to print their own gold backs again. I, I think that there are people who are starting to lay down the foundation for what the what the emergency response would be if and when that happens. So I'm not overly concerned about that. What keeps me awake at night though? Boy, I don't know. Uh, I mean, without getting into like too sappy of stuff, it's mostly stuff with my kids. I don't know how to be a dad. I, I, I may be the worst father. I mean, I'm there and I guess that's what, 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 what the barometer is. That's the bar, but it's hard to be a dad. Like you're just guessing and I don't know what to do. There's so many things that are, I, I think what really keeps me awake is, uh, and it parenting is like the, the uh, visual display of this, but really it's like this ongoing battle. This could be a really long thing, Garrett. Like we could really get into the, the nitty gritty here, uh, but it's the trying to find the balance of what I believe and my faith mixed with what I feel is, is right and fair in the world, that those two things don't always agree. Right. And, and finding that balance, finding how to teach my children those values, how, how to live those values myself, I spend a lot of time thinking about very specific scenarios that like I role play in my head, right? Like, hey, something could come up where somebody at work says such and such, and I have to figure out how to respond. And I play out those scenarios a lot in my head. And that's what I find a lot of it is, is trying to balance what I feel is right, balance what I believe is right, and balance all of this other stuff in the world of just trying to be a good person while not compromising and sacrificing your values. It's harder than I ever thought it would be. And you, you took this at a much more deep level than I Well, thought. I tried to answer but, with acid reflux, but you didn't that's true. That it's true. But what if we move on from the national debt, this is a conversation for like May when we're really at a topic. But we, if if you're not too worried about the national debt, start Googling unfunded liabilities and then uh, just, you'll just make go, it. Just go full conspiracy and Google the Great Reset and, and just get on board. I mean, is that a conspiracy? They have a website, don't they? 
for like the, I mean it's the, yeah, I have no we, idea who's we behind. have a website I mean, come true. on anybody it's, I have no idea who's behind it but it, I mean that at least that's not like some weird QAnon you have to go on the dark web to find this whatever you know at least it's no there it's, at least is a verifiable group of people somewhere advocating for it it you know, it's out there conspiracy I don't know it's a very small group but it's out there it's um so we do have some kind of recruiting news and obviously general football stuff. There was a flurry of offers yesterday that went well, out. We, we haven't met for a couple of weeks, man. Like we still got to talk Chris Brooks. Oh yeah. We still got to talk uh, the Rhino. We got to talk about the Rhino. Um, so well, let's start with that. The verifieds. Okay. So obviously Chris Brooks, AKA Chris Brown jr. He cha- uh, is transferring from Cal. Um, he, I've seen a lot of people try to say that he is like Tyson Williams. And I think that is not the case. He is no. bigger. He is slower. They run different. They have a completely different running style. I think the, he's a transfer from a P5 school. Who's not a member kind of makes a very lazy comparison. And if you're going to look back into that same year, he's built and runs a lot more like Emmanuel Suka does or did. Mm-hmm. Um, and obviously that didn't work out great that season um from you know with him but he he's a tank man like he's very he kind of i mean if we're going to compare him to somebody that byu fans are more familiar with he runs he's a lot like harvey in that he's just he's a lot or you know he's more in the mold of a harvey unga or a fui vakapuna or a more athletic algernon brown type of he's a load yeah he reminds me of Utah's Tavion Thomas. That's who I think he is. Um, I, I don't I don't know that he's Harvey. He runs a little bit like Harvey, but he, he doesn't have the ball skills that Harvey Harvey had. You know, Harvey was Harvey was a great runner, but Harvey was a great pass catcher. And and it's hard to bifurcate Harvey the runner and Harvey the, the receiver because they were so intertwined. Uh, but I look at a guy like Utah's Tavion Thomas this year, just kind of that big dude who barrels through everybody. And that's what uh, I think Brother Brooks can bring to the table. I think it's a good addition. He he was productive at Cal, averaged uh, four and a half yards per carry throughout his career. He averages better, almost three and a half yards per carry after contact. So like that, that kind of illustrates that he is – He's big. He's tough to bring down three and a half yards after you're touched. That's not nothing. That's a pretty big deal. Tyler Algier last year was like 4.1. And, and, and we all know who, you know, how Algier ran. And so Brooks is, he's a big bully of a guy. The offensive line at BYU next year is going to be head and shoulders better than anything that he played with at Cal. And that's going to make Christopher Brooks a a threat for BYU is he going to be a 1500 yard rusher no I don't think so that's not his game but can he get seven eight hundred yards and then have Lopini get four five hundred yards and then you're splitting up some time with McChesney and Davis and hoping those guys stay healthy yeah I mean I think that's probably the recipe at this point for success uh the days of Tyler Algier getting 20 carries a game and, and being the only running back who who touches the ball are probably over. Christopher Brooks isn't going to be that, and I don't think BYU's coaching staff is going to ask him to be that. But is he a guy who can get 12, 13 carries a game and, and, and allow Lopini to get five, six carries a game and McCheese to get five, six carries a game? Yeah. 
So I think that's probably the direction that they're going in. And I'm, I'm really excited to see it. Yeah. I, I think he is a very good pickup and he also will be accompanied with Houston Hemuli, who is uh, obviously the son of Lake Hemuli, who will be also be a grad transfer from Stanford coming over, who is very much a true fullback. Um, and it, it's kind of interesting, you know, it's, we got, it's kind of cool. We got two, I mean, it's, unfortunate that you know we're getting it's these g6 transfers coming from the pac-12 right but it is what it is and uh they're good and even if you're in a bad conference you can still play good football right i mean it's Mm -hmm. we were in the whack forever and we said we had good players so we can scour the rosters of the pac-12 and find good players out of these g6 leagues it's you know not ridiculous yeah and the houston um you know, I've, I've talked to some people and it, there's been a lot of questions on this court of kind of like why, and it's, I mean, he, he's not going to be like, we're not going to completely retool the entire offense around, you know, going into more of a traditional eye set with a fullback, whatever it's Isaac Rex got hurt. That makes behind Dallin Holker, Mason wake is our best pass catching tight end slash H back. And so now if we want to run with two big receivers coming on there, and if you want to do anything in the backfield, you need another body, or it would be nice to have a fullback who gets five to 10 plays a game as a lead blocker in short yarded situations, which is something that we really haven't, well, we haven't really tried, but we also really haven't had, um, you know, just as lining up in the backfield and, you know, running an ISO on the goal line. Like if, if we had, I was texting his friend last night, if we had Houston Himuli, we would have beat Boise state last year because we could have just barreled into the end zone. And on when we had first and goal on the five yard line and then got walked away with nothing and scored a touchdown. And that's those short yardage situations with a loaded box. That's something this offense has struggled with the last two years. That's been the weak spot mm-hmm. of the offense. And this fixes that, and I believe he is a preferred. You can correct me if I'm. I believe he's a preferred walk-on. He's a built athlete. Uh, yes, that is yeah, correct. So it's you're getting a, and he's going to be you're getting a legacy player who played in the Pac-12, who is a very true fullback, which is something you do not have on the roster currently. Who is going to be a great locker room guy? Like he's gonna. You know, I mean, Samson played great this year, but like he's going to be kind of like a Samson Nuku awards. He comes in for a single year, but he everyone can kind of rally around him because of his personality and he's fun and people like being around him and he's a good leader. Like he fits that role and you get him as a built athlete. Like it's there is no you don't need to overthink it, overanalyze it. Like it's not going to be changing everything we do. And it's we already have so and so and so and so and so. It's like he's a good body to add for a year. And I'm happy that he's here. Um, and I'm happy for the Hemuli family uh, because I know that there was there were some hard feelings with how his recruitment was handled by Bronco originally um, when Houston was coming out of high school. And obviously, Hema is now a producer at BYU TV. So it it's really cool for him to get to cover his brother um, for his last year of college football. And so it's happy for everyone involved there, both for Chris Brooks and his family, and obviously for the Hamulies, who it's when you hear that name, I mean, that's you think of BYU football, right? And mm-hmm. so it, it just things things seem more right with a Hamulie in the backfield in Provo. I just want once, I mean, this isn't a, a, a long term plan, but I hope that 
I hope that Houston can return one kickoff. That's what I want. I just want him to be a kick returner for one game just to see what it's like. I mean, he's not, you know, he's not a 10, 500 guy. Like he's not going to blow past anybody. That's a big dude. Remember Paul Lasique returning kicks? Yeah. I kind of want to see that again. And at worst, uh, we remember Bracken L. Bakri, but remember Braden L. Bakri on kick coverage and that legendary hit against, I think it was, uh, was it San Jose? I don't even know who they were playing. Yeah. Where he just obliterated a man and took his life from him and caused a fumble. Houston, that's your calling. And he's, it will be interesting to see what he does because Stanford had him playing at like 265, 270 pounds. And he ain't going to, he ain't going to be looking like that come no, fall. No. You know, he he's on a diet now. And Garrett, Garrett we have breaking news. Oh, what is our breaking news? Oh, is this, uh, I think I know what this breaking news is. Uh, I'm curious to hear your guess. Cause I would be a little surprised, but is the breaking news is that uh, Kalani and Timberly Satake are expecting another child? Is that, that is the, not? No, okay. it's not the breaking news. Because I did not know that. So they are. I I heard that a couple of weeks ago. Obviously, that is not something you share or scoop anyone. Uh, but it looks like Mitch Harper did just text both you and me, and uh, Sister Satake made it public on her Instagram page. So congratulations to Kalani wow. and his family. I think this is a this is a caboose because I think his son is like 11 or 12. And uh, so th- this is a big straggler. But Kalani's 46, man. Yeah. This is uh oof. Well, good for you. Good for the Sataki family. That's not my breaking news. My breaking news was about a former BYU coach, however. Everybody expected, everybody, I mean everybody. That when Bronco stepped down, clearly he was stepping down. Why? Because he was going to be called as a mission president. That's why he was, and he'll be so great. Right. How many times did we hear that? Like 800,000? A a thousand million. Yeah. It just happened immediately after because nobody could fathom that Bronco would just step down. Well, 164 new mission presidents have been called, and none of them are Bronco F. Mendenhall. I don't know what his middle name is, Uh, but I did learn. Did you know that they call? I mean, I guess this makes sense, but I didn't. This is the first time I've ever seen it in writing, and it's a little bit weird for me. They call the mission president and then their companion. Yeah. I didn't know they called it a mission president and a companion. I think a lot. Anyway, whatever. Uh, so great. I mean, it's not Bronco Mendenhall. So I, I think that can officially put to bed the idea that he, well, obviously that he stepped down because he was going to be a mission president. And now, folks, we can start to read between the lines. This is where you and I have been for a long time based on things that we've heard, based on just common sense. And the fact that we've, we've covered and listened and heard Bronco for a really, really long time. He is very good at the PR game. People don't think that he's very good at the PR game because he's a little bit awkward with the media, but the guy has a a very clear strategy for what his brand is. And his brand is, is what we know and love about broken guys read between the lines. He did not just wake up one morning and say, up, I'm done. 
that's not how this worked. He was recruiting 24 hours before he stepped down. Come on, guys. Did he have a realization that maybe he didn't want to be at Virginia anymore and he, he needed to, to step down? Yeah. Yeah, sure. That's part of it. Well, we reported back then that we had heard that, hey, he was asked to make some changes with his coaching staff, particularly on the defensive side of the ball. He was unwilling to make those changes. And I think maybe the, the clarity there is he was unwilling to be forced to make those changes. He's not, he wasn't against making changes per se, but he was against making changes the way that it was being dictated to him. And he said, I'm not going to do that. And then a resignation was, was agreed to. I think that's that we can now safely say. Yeah, I think that's what, what went Guys, down. And, and I'm pretty sure, I was pretty sure then, but for everybody who thought, well, he must be going on a mission. That's the only reason he'd do this. No, guys, like he would do this because he's a fiercely loyal guy. He asked a bunch of people to move across the country with him. And then he was being told he had to fire them and he didn't want to do it. So rather than fire them, he fired everybody and, and stepped down. That's what happened. And they are falling in more places than I thought. I mean, technically, Nick Howell got a P5 job in the SEC. Yeah, good for him. Because he's now the defensive backs coach at Vanderbilt. Um, so he was Marky Atuaya is at Washington State as their running backs coach. Eric Tujay was the only coach that was retained. By Garrett. Garrett Tujay. I don't want to say Eric. Well, um, it feels like a name you should remember. Yeah, I I was reading a work message from ah, someone I, named Eric in it at the same I, time. Um, I've been there. The so Garrett 2J uh it was retained. Um Kelly Papinga will be joining Boise State staff coming back west. And Jason Beck is following Robert Anai to Syracuse. And that's the one that I mean it was a little late in the game, so I can see why maybe Beck did that, but I think now. I mean, Beck's, he's got to shoot his shot and move on from being a position coach, right? Like he, Beck was, he was already in, he's already been an FCS offensive coordinator. He's been a D2 offensive coordinator, right? He took a step down, quote unquote, to come to BYU as a position coach. I, I don't, and think he, I don't think anybody was giving him a coordinator job this year. Well, and he happened late, right? Like he, it was late in the game, but you think he was, and maybe he did kind of test the waters a little bit and maybe the types of programs, you know, it's like, a, Oh, my only option was a middle Tennessee state type job. And that's not the coordinating position I want to go for. Like you, you know, you want to be a little more choosy, but I think he, I think Jason Beck is someone who is primed. And I, I said this a couple of weeks ago when Fresno state hired Jeff Tedford again, of like if Jason Beck could go slide in and be the OC under Jeff Tedford and Fresno and get groomed a little bit outside of, you know, Dr. Bob's tree, then that could be really good for him. Like he, he is primed to go to, you know, a, like a, a Memphis or an SMU or a, you know, a very solid, he's, he needs to try to get one of those stable G5 OC jobs. And I, I think in a couple of years, you know, if he, especially if he continues to build and have the quarterback play at Syracuse, which the same, you know, that he did at Virginia, where I actually think every, other than if you count Tanner, Tanner Mangum, uh, I think every quarterback that Jason Beck has coached at the FBS level has gotten a shot at the NFL. Whoa. So 
I mean, that's his track record as a QB coach is good. You know, yeah, it's, that's impressive. And it's you usually with like, you know, it's a lot of coaches It's you get one good quarterback and then you ride that. And then it turns out you can't actually develop a quarterback. You just kind of got lucky, but I mean, what he had Bryce Perkins, he's got Brendan Armstrong, got Taysom Hill, you know, there's, I don't remember who the quarterback was at Virginia the first year that they were there, but he went from being very bad to, he got a shot at the league too. Like everyone that he has ever coached other than Tanner Mangum has gotten a shot. Yeah, that's impressive. That's a, and so, and so it's, that is the one that, I mean, I think Syracuse is a really tough job. Um, That's the, that's the thing that I didn't understand about it is Dino, Dino's going to get fired. Yeah. Unless they, unless they turn things around up there, Dino Babbers is on his last leg. This feels like Vic Soto joining Clay Hilton. Like, okay, hope it works, but nobody's expecting this to work. And I don't know that to be fired twice from low level ACC schools in two years. That's, that's a tough one to recover from. Yeah. So So it's a gamble. Um, We did have, I mean, you mentioned it earlier in the show, five new offers and, and this is a, these are offers that I feel like we need to talk about. Modern day Catholic high school in San Diego is not modern day of Bryce Young and Cody Epps and Amon Ross St. Brown. None of that. It's a different modern day, but it's still a productive high school. Uh, Five players in the 2023 and 2024 classes were offered by BYU last night. All five of them have offers from other schools, and I think all five of them have offers from P5 schools. If not all of them, then four of the five of them. They're all built similarly. I think there's one of them who is like 5'10", 5'11", but the rest of them are big defensive backs in that 6'1 to 6'3 range. They look like a lot of the guys that uh, the Ed Lamb has brought in, but they are a lot more polished, a lot more refined, and a lot more ready to play. All five of these players were offered by Ed Lamb. Nobody has been a harsher critic than I have of Ed Lamb and the whole uh, recruiting philosophy of just looking to find projects, right? And trying to find guys who fit measurables that don't really have competing offers. Uh, he doesn't go out and offer guys who have existing P5 offers, especially guys who don't have any real ties to BYU. He doesn't do that very often, but he is now. Like he has said, that he offers projects. This is Ed Lamb. He's, he offers projects and he offers developmental guys. And, and while I think that the line between project and developmental is, is very, very thin, those are very, very similar in my mind. They are distinctly different in his. And he said, hey, I, I don't think we have to offer as many developmental guys with the Big 12 in our back pocket. Now, clearly offers going out is not players signing national letters of intent. There is still a long ways to go before we can say, wow, coach lamb, holy cow, what a 180." but he's offering guys. He, he is offering guys that have competition. He's going to have to recruit them in order to get them to sign. And that's, that's part of the process. An offer is an offer. Now it's time to recruit right? It's time right. to show love. It's time to do that for an extended amount of time. And if coach lamb does that, and he's able to pull one or two of these guys out or one or two guys like them from other schools, somewhere else that get offers in the future. 
then all of the things that I've been really harsh about Coach Lamb are are suddenly gone, right? At least in terms of evaluations and recruiting. So this is an interesting. Uh, what is what is, what is a sinket? I don't know. This is an interesting set of five offers because it is very different than what we've ever seen Coach Lamb do. Uh, it's step one. There's there's ten steps that have to happen before you can say, "Hey, wow, I was wrong. Look what happened." Uh, credit where credits due. But he took this step one to competing for guys who have other people who really want them. And uh, that's encouraging, I think, for the future. Still got to take step two through 10, but he took step one. That's an encouraging sign for BYU's ability to go in and recruit with the Big 12 moniker behind them. I think that's 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 intriguing. And on the one hand, it is intriguing. Uh, it is kind of frustrating that it you felt like it took that rather than just, you know, going in being having the we don't care, we're BYU, trust us you know, kind of mentality, which it seems like the offensive staff has had, you know, the offense has been swinging for the fences. Uh, but there's, yeah, so I think it is a definitely good improvement. We'll see what happens. I think there, it'll be interesting to see as more staff is added as part of, you know, Kalani's new contract, how things shake out and where things go um, with, you know, with the recruiting and how getting more processes in place, because it's, it's very haphazard in Provo, right? Mm-hmm. It is very, things are a lot more regimented at other schools. And that's largely because you have recruiters doing recruiting and coaches are just like, yeah, sure. That's good. And coaches are working on the building relationship, but all of the talent evaluations, everything else, it's like, it's not being done by the assistant coaches necessarily. Right. Um, There's a whole staff. There, there was a player, a, a local player who I'm not going to name his name. Uh, he ended up not playing anywhere, but he he would regularly be contacted by with, with texts and DMs from uh, Coach Cristobal at Oregon. This player thought he was going to go to Oregon based on the communication and the relationship he had with Coach Cristobal. I would be willing to bet a large sum of money that the number of times he actually spoke with Coach, Chris, Coach Cristobal is less than two or three. Like he was talking to interns, he was talking to recruiting staffers who had access to Coach Cristobal's Twitter, who were texting on behalf of Coach Cristobal. That's what happens at these big time programs, and and at BYU that isn't the case. The resources aren't there, so the the quote unquote love that BYU was able to show. You're limited by time and resources and, and coaches have a, a work-life balance and they've got to prepare for the games. They've got to have a game plan in the middle of the season. They are worried about the progression of the 123 guys on the roster. You need recruiters to recruit. And, and hopefully, uh, hopefully after February, hopefully after signing day, we start to see a little bit more uh, moving and shaking on the recruiting staff, meaning more people coming to report up to Jack and Jason and uh, help those guys out and, and show that love to potentially win some of these guys who, who got offers yesterday. Right. And I, I think we will see that. Uh, we will see that more. And it, it is promising. I, th- I think this is probably before we jump into our discussion about uh, Monday's championship game. 
you did ruffle some feathers, not about what you said about Utah. And I kind of, I agree with you on that, but people did not like that. What you said about playing the rivalry game, but mm. about the kind of, you mentioned that uh, Kalani had taken some of the younger offensive coaches under his wing a little bit. Mm-hmm. And I think a lot of people read into that as like, well, you know, you it's like, you know, we, it, why do we have coaches that still need to be mentored? And it's like, well, you know, everything is you're constantly growing and learning and finding out and each staff is different. Even I don't like Robert and I and Jason Becker are not going to do things the same way they did at Virginia at Syracuse because they're playing for Dino Babers. And he's a different coach who do things differently and he wants things done differently and he's the boss. Right. And so it's, that's part of what you do is professional development. And I think you did find, we did come around to you making a good point yesterday of everybody was like, yes, Kalani is the guy we need Kalani. We need Kalani. So we kind of have the choice of you can either, you know, say, okay, well, if we believe Kalani's the guy, then we got to trust what he says about his staff and handling it for better or worse, because it's, you know, you can't just go cut an entire defensive staff for being middle of the road when you've only lost four games in the last two years. That does not look good to the market of replacements um, in terms of the expectations that are there. So you got to kind of work things and manage people and whatever. And it's definitely no, we're not saying there isn't a need for improvement. There definitely is. But it's if Kalani is your guy and it's everyone you're on board with Kalani, then you can either just say, let the guy who's in the building, who you believe in and who's there every single day, that he's going to find a way to make it work, or you can be pissy about it and complain every day and have it ruin your life for the next year until there's possible staff shakeups again. And, and that's the key, right? Like this is not a uh, trust the coaches. They're smarter than us. That's not, that's not what I'm saying. Uh, I still have the same reservations that a lot of people do about the, the, the defense and the defensive coaching staff. And I, I think it's, I think it's risky to run it back and not have any, any clear shakeups or not make any replacements. If I were in charge, I would have probably done things differently. Now Kalani does know, you know infinitely more than I do and blah, 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 blah. But that's not the reason why I think it's time for us to put the pitchforks away. I think it's time for us to put the pitchforks away because one, it's not going to make any difference. We could complain all off season long, but at some point have your opinions and be ready to bring your opinions back out. But if you are insistent on Kalani being your guy, which we all are, and we should be, then at some point he deserves the opportunity to do what he feels is best. That doesn't mean trust it. That doesn't mean blindly accept it. That doesn't mean that you have to put on your, your Elisa Tuiaki cover eight deep or cover, you know, drop eight cover deep cover three defense. You don't have to wear a hat that says how much you love it. That's not what we're saying, but if that's what Kalani feels is best, the hell good does it do anybody to sit there and complain about it for the next nine months? Right. You can't, you can't do anything. None of us are. I mean, if you are listening to this podcast and donate enough to the program to where you could actually be a mover and shaker and get something changed tomorrow, then please reach out to us because Jeff and I have a shitload of ideas we could sell you on. Oh, yeah. And, and we and need some angel funding here for many of these yeah, ideas. Yeah, exactly. Help us get from that pre-rich to rich part. But yeah. I am confident none of you have that much money. But if I Ryan guess. Smith, if you are listening, DM me. I'll send you my number. We can talk. Yeah, I mean, and even if it's not with sports, Ryan, like we're just, you know, we're hype men. 
We're fun. Whatever we've created here at Give Him Hell, Brigham has lured you in. Imagine what we could do for you at Qualtrics. Yeah. So just or or the jazz. Keep, like, keep that is, in the if back. You of want, your mind. If you want to make the jazz truly fun and exciting, get us out there as your hype man. Dude, I'll I will I will work for Utah Royals, the professional women's soccer league team. I'm ready to do that. Whatever it takes, Ryan, if you're listening. But does he own them too? Well, they just bought them yesterday. It oh. was announced that he bought RSL and uh, the Royals are part of the deal. Oh, so he's going to bring good. them back from Kansas. Good. Um, but the, the, the point remains, right? Like there's just at some point, all the complaining, all the bitching and moaning about the problems with the defense, it starts to reflect poorly on the program. And please, if we get to game one next year and BYU gets smoked because of a, a lackluster defense and they give up 250 yards of rushing i will be right there arm in arm with you saying wow we should have made defensive changes wow it looks the same wow it's going to be a long year i'll be there with you but i just at some point we have to accept it and say okay what is it that kalani is seeing clearly there's something that he sees that i don't see this notion that he's not going to fire people because they're his friends is categorically false. He fired Reno Mahe. That was his friend. He fired Tavito Fungawe. That was his friend. He fired Sione Kinney Kinney, who followed him from Utah to OSU to BYU. All of like, He's not afraid to fire friends. So what does he see in Elisa Tuiaki, in Preston Hadley, in Kevin Klune? What does he see that maybe you don't? Try to find that. And, and, and maybe it changes your perspective. Maybe it doesn't. I don't know. But try to look at it through a different paradigm rather than just bitch and moan for the next nine months. Or it's going to be a really long offseason for everybody. Right. It's And not even a long offseason. It's going to be a long next year, too. Mm-hmm. Especially the offseason, though, when there's nothing tangible. to Because they could come out and it's, I don't know, Gabe Reed hasn't said where he's going yet. We could pull in Gabe Reed and all the young guys on the defensive line take a step forward. We got Logan Fano and Ice Mola coming in and maybe, you know, things improve a little bit. We we've kind of feel like we have the bodies. We get Keenan Peely back. So that frees up, you know, in our scheme where it's kind of built around the D line eating up blocks to free up the linebackers to go make plays. And, you know, when we had a bunch of injuries and things were not going well and things struggled because of the linebackers that were also really young that we had to throw in, it's, you know, you kind of things should take a step forward next year. And if push come to shove, you come out with like, Hey, well, we got a top 20 offense and a, the defense hovers around 30 to 40 in most stats. Are you complaining? No, you're going to one side of the ball is always, unless you're Bama, one side of the ball is going to be significantly better than the other for every pretty time. much every team. And yeah. you can win with a high scoring offense and an okay defense. And it's a lot harder to win with a really good defense and zero offense. So if mm-hmm. I was going to trade, I mean, if that's the trade-off, it'd give me a top 15 offense and a top 50 defense and I'm happy. Yep. But I mean, that's pretty much it. Jeff, it has been a good episode. Uh, we hope you enjoy your Friday night if you are listening to this. Um, the national championship game is on Monday. 
Alabama is playing Georgia again. There's a lot of people who are like, oh, I don't want an SEC rematch. I'm going to watch it. You're going to have nothing else to do on Monday night at 6 o'clock when this thing comes on, and you're going to turn it on and watch it. Like, don't lie to yourself. You're, yeah. Everyone's talking a big game now. You're not going to walk away and not watch the national championship when it's the two best teams in the country. And as much as you hate it, they're the two best teams. It's going to be a damn good football game. Right. So who – what is These are two real programs, you know? Uh, I think Alabama runs away with it. I just, at the end of the day, big game like this, big stage for all the marbles, I trust Bryce Young way more than Stetson Bennett. Yeah, definitely. Um, we already in, I mean, I think it'll be closer than the first time they played, but I think it's going to be Bama. And they're the underdog, so go get some free money, folks. You could take the points if you want, but also just take the money line because I think I think the tide went out right. I, yeah, is is Georgia's like a three point favorite, right? Yeah, they opened at two and a half, and then it actually went a sharp Georgia way at first, which was weird. But then it, it, it I think it's come back down to two. Um, but at any at any rate, take the take the dog, take the money line on Bama, and, and go get rich, kids, as as they say. I mean, in it, I mean, I don't even know what the money line is. If it's only a two, three point thing, it's not going to be that much. But you know, getting even paying plus, getting plus one thirty is a lot better than minus one ten. So yeah, exactly. and it's going to be something in that ballpark. But I do think Bama money line, and uh, you know, Nick Saban has still only been beaten what one time by a former assistant. And yeah, Jimbo this year, man. Jimbo this year, and it took a miracle kick from a freshman kicker. And it's, I don't know that Georgia's going to be able to get that done again because they got to stop Bryce. Their defense, as good as it is, and the elite as their defense is, has to stop Bama and their offensive attack, which is weird because this is not the Bama. And that's why Nick Saban is the GOAT because he's completely retooled and runs his team completely differently and has a completely different style than he did a decade ago. Yeah, right. it's he awesome. is. He has stayed up with the times. So, Jeff, we will be back next week. And if you are listening to this, please share uh, the podcast with your friends, share the website with your friends. I know it's an email newsletter, but you can still go to givemhelbergum.com and read everything just as if it was a website. You know, make it your homepage. I don't know. Do people still have homepages? Ooh, that's share, it with your, yeah. share it with your friends. And uh, until next time, Jeff, give them hell. Give them hell.